Positively Pro-Life, a podcast brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. Positively Pro-Life aims to bring you inspirational stories and conversation, important legislative updates, and informative interviews as we seek to restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm Remel Tenney, the Education Director at the Federation, and co-hosting with me is our Legislative Director, Maria Gallagher. Hello, Maria. Hello, Remel. It's great to be with you today. Good to have you. A few weeks ago, we had Father Tad from the National Catholic Bioethics Center share with us the ethical side of, of, of assisted suicide. This week, we are joined by an expert who has been keeping tabs on the euthanasia movement and the assisted suicide laws internationally. With the assisted suicide bill, House Bill number 543 being introduced at the Pennsylvania General Assembly this session, it is vital that we are aware of the dangers it could pose. Later in this episode, we will be speaking to Alex Schadenberg, the executive director of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition and he will answer some of our questions from his vast experience of diligently following the pro progress of this movement for over two decades. But first, let's get our weekly inspiration. So on Easter Sunday, I got to video call my husband's grandmother in New Jersey, and she's actually, she actually turned 95 in March this year. Um, she's had Alzheimer's for a few years and her memory is not very good. Um, so she doesn't know where she is. Uh, she, does, she just knows that she's home when she sees familiar faces, uh, especially those that she lives with and also people who speak the same language as her. Now, for me, the best part about uh, that call was just to see her surrounded by her family. Many of her children were there. So her children, their spouses, um, a few of her grandchildren and their spouses and three of her great grandchildren were there too. And it's always fun to see videos of her with her great grandchildren and she's singing songs to them. She's praying with them. Uh, she's reading to them and, and mostly just delighting in, in the life that she sees in front of her. Um, she's been such an inspiration um, to her children and they often speak about how her strength and her vigor, even at this age, and one of the things that children celebrate about her most is how she overcame so much hardship um, in her life. Now, she was widowed at a very young age with nine children and one on the way. Um, she was very young when her, when her husband passed away suddenly due to health issues. And she had to find a way to support and raise them. Now, all the oldest children, as they grew up, they pitched in to help her and, but she, su she suffered so much loss, um, loss of her children, loss of her husband, and lived in poverty for a time. But through it all, she was able to witness the success of all of her children through the life that she spent um, taking care of them, raising them. Uh, one of her sons actually became the first in her village in town uh, to get a master's degree in the United States. And now he works as a professor. So at, at a young age, he came here and he got a degree. And, and, I, and I know that she couldn't have been more prouder to see her children succeed in that way. Now, life wasn't always easy for her, uh, but at the twilight of her life, and she has this amazing support, not only from her children and their spouses, but also from, the, from her grandchildren who are actually there right now taking care of her. 
And uh, whenever she has a health issue, you know, her children just rally around her. Um, they make sure that someone's there to take care of her and she's never without anybody. Uh, she's never had to also live in a hospice or like go outside because everyone's like, this is our mother, our grandmother, and we will take care of her. So um, there's just so much courage and strength that I see in her. And I've been thinking, not, not all of us have that privilege of, of living up to a 95 years old, um, to the ripe old age of 95. But I, if I do, I know I'd like for, for it to be like that, to just be surrounded by family and cared for uh, by my family. And it just helps to see how um, the very fact that there are so many of us, we can always, you know, pitch in and help and just 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 be there when she needs us. Um, so that was such a blessing to witness, and I thought I'd share that all share that with you all today. So Maria, what legislative update do you have for us? Well, Ramel, the following is from a National Right to Life news release. Recently, Governor Little of Idaho signed a bill designed to protect minor daughters in the state of Idaho. House Bill 242 would make it a crime for an adult to transport a pregnant minor within the state of Idaho for the purpose of obtaining an abortion with the intent to conceal the abortion from the parents or guardian of the minor. Idaho is the first state to make abortion trafficking of minors illegal and the language is based on the model National Right to Life drafted in June of 2022. Missouri passed a law in 2005 that prohibits aiding a minor in getting an abortion without her parents' consent. We thank Governor Little for signing the bill and protecting minor daughters from those who would deny them the counsel of their parents, said Carol Tobias, president of National Right to Life. House Bill 242 prevents an adult from taking a minor and traveling within the state of Idaho with the intent to obtain an abortion without her parents' knowledge. Idaho's House Bill 242 would seek to prevent an abortion, whether surgical or procured using abortion drugs, from being performed on a minor without the knowledge of her parents or guardians. Tobias continued, Parents have the right to be involved in decisions regarding their daughter's well-being. House Bill 242 protects that right. Remmel. Thank you, Maria, for that update. Our guest today is Alex Schadenberg, co-founder and executive director of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition. He has been an outspoken opponent of euthanasia and assisted suicide since 1998 and has spent countless blog articles and opinion pieces on the issue. He's also a regular featured writer for the National Right to Life blog. And we are so glad to have this opportunity to hear from him. Welcome to the po podcast, Alex. Welcome. So when you introduced yourself, you talked about your grandmother. Well, my mother, who's 82, just got married in February. So, oh uh, you know, <laughs> so talking about people who are a little bit older, not not ancient, but a little bit older, who are, uh, how would you say, living their life fully, and her new husband is uh, 89, and uh, they're starting a new life together. So, you know, this shows you the uh, the whole concept of uh, what it means to be alive and to be human and, you know, and uh, have, a, have a full life. You know, this, this is, uh, it's a good thing to talk about. 
Absolutely. Congratulations <laughs> to them. <laughs> so um, we'll begin with our interview. Um, and maybe you could tell us first about the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition and how yeah. you came to found it. Well, the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition, uh, I've been doing this work for a very long time. So uh, I've been working at this full time since 1999. But I started this in the 90s with uh, a, a physician who was a pediatric oncologist. So he was a, a, a doctor who took care of children with cancer. And um, and we also had a palliative care nurse who was involved with us in the beginning who when we founded this. But I, I started uh, this whole concept of Euthanasia Prevention Coalition around the reality of the fact that we had a son with a disability and um, we were getting involved in the disability community and we uh, recognized that the attitudes towards people with disabilities were uh, significantly different than able-bodied people at the same time i'm a canadian don't hold that against me but nonetheless i'm a canadian and in canada we were having uh, a trial on there was a, a trial going on there was a man named robert latimer who had killed his daughter tracy tracy had cerebral palsy and I remember this was around 1997, there was a poll that was done. And remember, this was quite a big news item in Canada, this whole situation, because Robert Latimer was claiming that he had no choice. You know, his daughter was suffering. He had no choice but to kill her. And about 37% of the people in that poll agreed with Robert that what he did was perfectly fine. He was just a, he was just a loving dad who felt who, who did the right thing for his daughter because he had no choice. He killed his 11-year-old daughter with cerebral palsy. You know, you know the whole concept here. It was just too much for me to swallow, and that's what got me really focusing on this issue of euthanasia, assisted suicide, and uh, I have never turned back. That's basically uh, my story with this. But the whole thing is, is that this whole issue has really been uh, continuing and growing, and uh, there's, there's a constant uh, affliction with assisted suicide euthanasia. And it's good for us to talk about, of course, because you have a bill in Pennsylvania. And I want to emphasize how the language of these laws are essential, because really, you know, people tell there's just two issues around assisted suicide there's the what they're trying to sell you which is this concept of um you know uh, a, a good death uh death with dignity they're trying to sell you this concept that if we don't have assisted suicide people are going to be suffering but if we do have assisted suicide oh we're going to have these wonderful deaths and everything and and you know we're, we as human beings, we, we do fear suffering. And then there's the reality of the law, and that's the language of the law, what it actually does. And it's sort of important to recognize that these are two very different things. And the other basic thing that I like to talk about, or I think is important to talk about, well, you know, if this is all about a death with dignity, how do these people actually die by assisted suicide? Because it's not as they're saying. So, you know, the flag that the assisted suicide lobby is waving is very seductive. It's very seductive because, as I say, we're human beings and none of us want to suffer. So, you know, you're thinking, well, you know, I, I wouldn't want to suffer. And yet at the same time, if you're thinking about how the law actually works and what it what the bills actually say, that's uh, that's where it really becomes concerning. Uh, from the beginning, I have to state to the world that uh, I'm opposed to killing people. I think the concept of having a law that allows one person to kill another person, it's just a really, really, really sad idea, bad idea. And it's not a safe concept either. So when they're going to say, oh, well, you know, it's only for these very few cases. Well, you know, that's that's simply not the truth, in fact. And the assisted suicide lobby is always looking for more and more and more deaths. And that's the other factor. Once they legalize it, uh, and that's what we're seeing in other states right now, once they legalize it, their big push is, okay, now we have it legal. Now let's expand it. 
you know so it's all about a lie and a constant lie and an expansion of a lie and that's how they sell mm -hmm. assisted suicide and they try and make you feel comfortable by saying oh we're just gonna have a few a few deaths for those very terrible cases that's how they try and sell it and in the end of course it becomes um, a huge number of deaths for a huge number of people and it it totally turns society upside down because what the laws actually do is they give the doctor or depending on which state it is, because some states allow nurses to do it, the doctors or the nurses or the medical professional allows them to have the right in law to kill you. That's what mm -hmm. it's about, right? Mm -hmm. That's what it's about. So, you know, th this is this is what we're concerned about. Now, where is it legal already? Well, it's already legal in about 10 states in the U.S., and so that that represents a major concern. And there's a and uh, there's a lot of um, uh, states where they've been debating assisted suicide over and over and over again. That's you know Pennsylvania's had a couple bills over the years, but it's not been a hotly debated uh, situation. But you know states like Connecticut have defeated their assisted suicide bill every single year, ten years in a row. They've had an assisted suicide bill and they've defeated it every single year. And yet now they have a bill again this year. So um, mm -hmm. I have to give credit to the assisted suicide lobby for only one thing, not their lies, but their the fact that they have this willingness to just come back every year and they're wanting assisted suicide. They're wanting to have the right to be able to have doctors and nurses be involved with causing your death. That's what they want. Mm -hmm. And they're pretty uh, persistent, you know, and, and maybe uh, people who oppose the killing, Maybe we just have to be just as persistent as they are because they're pretty darn persistent, aren't they? That's 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 just the reality. Um, so anyway. Um, yes. Yes. And um, you mentioned the 10 states where assisted suicide is legal right now in the U.S. What's been the experience of those states, particularly Oregon? Well, actually, that's a very good topic to talk about, Oregon, because Oregon, um, it's it's not exactly what people think. And, they t and they're going to say, and when they're debating assisted suicide in Pennsylvania, they're going to say, oh, well, you know, about one third of all the uh, assisted suicide prescriptions are never used. And they're going to try and tell you that this is just about these people who are receiving drugs that they could put by their, by their bedside to make themselves feel comfortable because then they have a way out, right? Because they're in fear of a bad death concept. But in fact, it's not true. When you look at the data, so last year uh, in Oregon, the 2022 data showed that there's there was 278 reported assisted suicide deaths. Now, why do I say reported? Well, there was uh, 431 lethal prescriptions written and there was 278 reported deaths. Now, right off the bat, we know there was more than 278 deaths because every year when the next uh, report comes out, so when the 2023 report comes out, it will jump that number up because there's a lot of what you call late reporting that goes on in Oregon. Nonetheless, there's this other factor. In 2022, there was 101 people who received the assisted suicide drugs. So the government knows they received the drugs. They were approved for it. They received them. They have no idea. They know they died. So they have the they have a death certificate for these people, but they have no idea if they died by assisted suicide or not. And you'll notice in the Oregon report, every single year you have this data number, which is this whole thing about uh, ingestion status is unknown. They just don't know. Now, what's going to happen, of course, is in the 2023 data, it's going to show you an increase in the number of reported assisted suicide deaths in 2022. And some of those people were part of that 101. But there's still going to be a huge number of unreported deaths where they simply don't know what happens, meaning they might have been assisted suicides. 
They might have been natural deaths, but nobody knows. So you have to know right off the bat how the law works. The law works by a self-reporting system, and it's exactly the same thing as being pr proposed in Pennsylvania. So you need two doctors. Now, uh, I, as I say, in Oregon, it's still doctors, but in, in New Mexico, they allow nurses to be involved. But uh, the two doctors have to approve the death. Just so you know, the first doctor is supposed to actually meet that person. They're supposed to actually examine the person. Now, it might be done... Uh, some of these deaths are being approved by Zoom. Very concerning when that's coming into play, and I can get into that in a second. But I mean, what's happening is, is that the same doctor who approves the death is the same doctor who's prescribing the assisted suicide is the same doctor who sends in the report. So it's a self-reporting system. And the Oregon government, and the same problem is going to happen in Pennsylvania because we've got the same problem in Washington State. Mm -hmm. They have no authority the uh, Oregon Department of Health to actually investigate what actually happened. So there's no authority. So what you have is you have this whole self-reporting system and every year there's a significant number of deaths where there's no report ever sent in. They have no idea. They can't They can't say it's an assisted suicide. They can't say it wasn't an assisted suicide because they just don't know. No one sent in the report uh, and they don't know if it was a natural death. They, they simply don't know. And uh, this is a significant number. Now you should be concerned about this because we're talking about lethal drugs. Right. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about a situation where, you know, you know, anytime you have a situation where you have, uh, how would you say, controlled substances, just we don't know what happened to them. You better be concerned about that within the culture. And that is what is happening. So you have this situation. Right after that. Secondly, they say these are fast deaths, that these are, you know, these are, you know, this is a death with dignity. And that's what they're trying to sell you. But in fact, you know. Some of these deaths take a long time. Like some of these people, it takes them hours and hours and hours to die. Like one person, it took them 104 hours to die. Uh, so if you can start considering that, you know, um, in last year, there was one who took 68 hours to die. And you look at that whole situation. These are long drawn out deaths. Now, why is this the case? It's based on the drugs that they use to kill you with. So they, they don't want to discuss this. They don't want to discuss this whole thing of the drug Used, but what it is is that uh, they uh, they have been they did they started this whole thing uh, around uh, 2005 2006 the assisted sorry 2015 I mean sorry the assisted suicide lobby decided they wanted a cheaper way to kill people so they came out with this uh, uh, they got the assisted suicide doctors together and they tried to create cheap concoctions for killing so you see this article in uh, the USA Today in February 2017 which was expressing this concern. It said, you know, um, that uh, this the assisted suicide lobby was finding a cheaper way to, to do this. And they said, you know, the first drug experiments, they turned out to be too harsh. This is out of the USA Today, mm -hmm. February 2017. So these people, their mouths, their throats were burning as they were receiving the drugs. So they died screaming in pain. And they said, well, this is so the assisted suicide lobby thought, well, you know, they did this 67 times and they thought, well, you know, 67 people screaming in pain, maybe a bit too many for death mm -hmm. with dignity. So they changed it. And so they changed the drug mixture. And then now they've had these long drawn out deaths. Uh, an article that was published in the Medical Express in September of 2020 said uh, a little known secret not published by the advocates of aiding dying was that while most deaths are speedy, others were very slow. Some lingered six to nine hours. And I've already mentioned that uh, last year there was one that was 68 hours, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and that uh, that the other thing is uh, the whole they admit it. The assisted suicide lobby doctors admit it. 
you know, these drugs do cause pain, they do burn their throats, etc. And that there's these long drawn out deaths. So then they say, oh, this is all about a death with dignity. But truly, how do you call this a death with dignity? No, what they're looking for was a cheap way to kill. That's what they were looking for. And that's what they use. Uh, that's a long way to get around the fact that it's really not in any way a death with dignity. But it does, the laws do give the doctor and in some states, the nurse, the right to be involved with killing you. It's very interesting that you would say that because uh, in the memo for the bill, quote-unquote, it says, these individuals facing unbearable and unrelieved suffering in their final days would be able to request a prescription that would end their life in a dignified, humane manner that re respects the individual's autonomy and self-determination. Now, what it sounds like from what you've just said, that is not true. And... No, no. Uh, that's right. Although That's the, the sales approach. That's the sales approach, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and you can see that in the bill itself, there is no mention of pain or uh, any other kind of reason. Right. You just have to be 18 years old. Uh, you have to 18 years old and above. And if you have a terminal illness that produces death within six months with reasonable medical diagnosis and judgment, and you just have to be a resident of the Pennsylvania Commonwealth. Right. So that that's this that's all you need and and, and, uh, and it's subjective because they talk about you have to be suffering but i can't determine if you're suffering like i i don't know if maria's suffering i can't if maria's going to tell me she's suffering how can i say she's not suffering this is very mm -hmm. subjective this so we're going to give someone lethal drugs knowing that they're going to take these drugs to have their life ended we know this and we're going to do this and because she's saying she's suffering or she has such, and such a medical condition, et cetera, when in fact, really what this is about is abandonment. Really, this is not about autonomy and choice and freedom. This is about abandoning someone in a difficult time of their life. And, and I will get into that in one second with you because I don't want to run out of time. But I will say that I've dealt with a lot of people. Okay, I've got a lot of phone calls. I've dealt with a lot of people with assisted suicide and euthanasia now. And we also in Canada have a helpline. So you know, we, we regularly receive these calls from people. Maybe a family member will give them my the helpline phone number and they're calling us up and we're dealing with them. I just had lunch a few weeks ago with someone who was approved for euthanasia in Canada and now he's having second thoughts. So, you know, he called me and I had lunch with him and everything. And I asked him, you know, why did you want this? Why did you really want this? Okay, and then we get down to the, the, the brass tacks because there's two issues. These people tend to have a medical condition. That's quite concerning. That's correct, absolutely. Almost always. Absolutely. I'm not arguing that. But why are they actually asking for assisted suicide? That's the second question. So there are some of them who are radical autonomous, right? They think it's, you know, my body, my choice. I don't know if you ever heard that line. <laughs> anyway, and then they think it's my body, my choice, and I need to have this, and I'm, don't stop me. It's my life. My... Okay, fine. There's a few of those, but they're not the majority. They're actually a very small number of people. They're the ones you're going to see in the newspaper articles because they're going to go talk to some reporter or whatever. Most of these people are going through a difficult time of their life and they're feeling lonely. They're feeling abandoned. They're feeling like their life has lost purpose, meaning, or value. They feel like they're a burden on others. And we see this in the data also in Oregon, right? The Oregon data shows very clearly people feel like they're a burden on others. They feel mm -hmm. like their life has lost meaning, purpose, value. These are people who are going through a difficult emotional and psychological state. And guess what? Guess what? That's a normal human response to a human being going through difficult times. The difference between before you've legalized assisted suicide and afterward is uh, before you've legalized assisted suicide, 
we as a community are going to have to try and find ways to help that person because you know someone who's feeling hopelessness and despair and depression well they need they need someone who cares about them they need uh they might need some medications that help with their depression they might need different things but if assisted suicide's an option well then death becomes the option right mm -hmm. and then they say this is about freedom and autonomy no it's about abandonment this is about abandonment and i get these phone calls and it's always the same thing i was talking to a guy recently who has significant health problems yeah they were very significant and we were talking about it and he he was really feeling but when it came down to it what was he saying I don't seem to be able to get the right type of medical treatment. My doctor doesn't seem to listen to me. All he's giving me is, you know, painkillers. That's all I'm getting. But I have, I have this problem and that problem. I'm not getting the, the treatment I need. So I'm feeling that death is my only option. And I'm thinking, that's a terrible abandonment. I'm sorry, that's a horrific abandonment. But I guess if it's legal, you could see how that becomes the option, right? Because, yes, yeah. you know, some Absolutely. of these conditions are difficult. We need a caring society, right? We don't need a killing society. And what happens when you start killing is everything turns upside down. And you'll notice that if you start looking at the data out of Oregon, or you talk about Canada, where we have euthanasia, it's very sad when you start realizing the pressure that starts people start feeling around death. Because some people say, well, you know, you should have assisted suicide then. Um, we, we've know, got may... only a couple of minutes left. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, Alex, um, are there some final thoughts you would like to share with us today? Yeah, the first thing is uh, is also the last thing. Assisted suicide is about a lie. It's about a lie. They say it's about your freedom, your autonomy. It's about death with dignity. You know, these banners are things that we really like because we're human beings. Like, like none of us, you know, like honestly, like who wants to really suffer so we understand that and you know suffering is not or not the uh the the strong point of our argument but the fact of it is is that's what they're they're going to tell you over and over again they're going to sell in their stories over and over again people who are suffering and they're going to say well we're going to have to have this to protect those people or to end all that suffering and in reality what this is about is giving the doctor and the nurses if that's how it's going to extend to in law the right to be involved with killing people and this is a serious, serious problem because, you know, think about the situation, what it means to be human. And this is what I'm always talking about to people. I'm saying my experience now is so clear that as a human being, people go through these emotions, these psychological conditions where they're really feeling down as they're experiencing their disease or their, you know, the, the progression towards a natural death. And so what's happening is, is that this request, someone saying, you know, I'm having a difficulty becomes the request for assisted suicide. It becomes the request for death. We lose the concept of caring for people. We mm -hmm. have to reject assisted suicide. This is anti-human. I say to people clearly, and they say, what are you saying is anti-human? It denies what it means to be human because we're killing people in a difficult time of their life rather than providing what they truly need is care. They need good care. They need a caring community. They need someone who cares about them. They need people who actually um, you know, honor their life as they are approaching death rather than saying, no, you're better off dead, you know? Mm -hmm. And how does this affect the disability community in the final? That's my final thing. It's terrible what's going on in Canada with the disability community, you know, because of the fact of the fact that we now have euthanasia and assisted suicide and people with disabilities. If you look at the definitions, guess what? You look at the same definitions in your Pennsylvania law. They're not really defined. So if you don't really define it, define it, guess what? Lots of people qualify. Mm -hmm. And so these people are qualifying because they're poor or they're experiencing disabilities or having problems achieving medical treatment. These are social issues that we shouldn't be killing people, but we should never be killing people. You know what I mean? That's what it leads to. 
I'm Absolutely. Sorry to say, the truth. Absolutely. Alex Schadenberg, co-founder and executive director of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. And remember, there's always a reason to choose life.